Super Mario World is the best-selling game for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. As one of the first games designed for the SNES, it brought Mario into the 16-bit era, looking to take advantage of all the added hardware in Nintendo's brand new shiny system. It brought us a colorful new world, and colorful new characters that could be found alongside Mario. But was it always going to be this way? Today we're going to take a look back at Super Mario World, paying particular attention to an early build of the game, and talk about all the obvious differences that changed during development. We'll talk about said development, tell you about our own experiences with the game, and talk about the legacy it left behind. So stick around and join us for today's dinosaur riding trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 65th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look at one title relevant to the current week in gaming history, and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, and what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're taking a look back at one of my absolutely favorite games, Super Mario World, released for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System in November of 1990 and brought here stateside in August of 1991. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who once admitted to me that he's seriously into riding green dinosaurs, my brother, Rob Casson. So, Rob, uh, there are a lot of like-minded people out there. Well, I mean, it's not every day you get to ride a dinosaur, Dave. That's true. That would be kind of cool, actually. So, yeah, I'm sure there's many like-minded people. You know, just gotta gotta be brave enough to take the jump. Gotta ride the dinosaur. Gotta ride the dinosaur. <laughs> gotta ride the dinosaur. Cool beans. So, what you playing this week? Haven't done a whole lot this week, actually. Uh, mostly just uh, RuneScape as I'm watching things here and there or in, on the go. Did a little bit of Forza. A little bit of Forza. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Uh, did a little bit of, wow, I'm blanking today. Your farming game? Well, I just downloaded Farming Sim today and got about five minutes in before you messaged me, so I can't really count that. I, yeah, no, uh, there was... No Rocket League this week, no Diablo this week, I think. Nope, none of that. Uh, it was Star Wars The Fallen Order. Oh, getting back into that. I'm just trying to get a little farther. Um, I I never got around to finishing it and just trying to finally finish it because it's a great game. I just, I don't know, I haven't sat down to finish it yet. For reals. How about yourself? What are you playing? Uh, Forza and Halo. We did a little bit of Halo since our last episode. You forgot that. Was it since our last episode? I thought that was the day of or before. I think it was the day after. Oh, our well, last there you episode. go. Also Halo. It may have been the day before I played it the other day. So I played some little stupid food truck tycoon game on my switch. I played back for blood. I played the first level of back for blood. That's that um, left for dead. Uh, the game that was made by the people who made left for dead. That's on game pass. Now, um, you know, speaking of that, uh, we talked recently and I kind of introduced you into the cloud-based gaming, right? Sure. At least we tried to get you to do Forza that way that one day. 
Ah, you mean the Xbox Cloud stuff, yes. Yeah. I'm actually particularly fond of it. So, Back for Blood, right? I played Back for Blood, and I played it on the cloud. And just it, it's, it's a really good get-up to just try a game. Because I didn't know if I was going to like that. So I didn't want to have to go through all the, the time in space to install a game just to delete it if I don't like it or anything. And so it was super easy just to load it up in the cloud and play a level and go, okay, well, I like this. Let's, let's, let's do this the other way now. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I honestly did not really think about it since I'd only used the cloud the one time and wasn't really paying that much attention. I guess I didn't consider that it was using resources of another device to play the yeah. game for you so that you don't actually have to have it physically on your device, which yeah. is huge because right. I'm always complaining about not having enough space because, you know, procrastination and not installing the new hard drive and deleting things I don't play. But that's beside the point for another day, like my bio. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, your bio. Well, and, you know, it's a quick in. So, like, if 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 I wanted to play and I was like and someone who also was on Game Pass with us was like, I don't have it. I'd be like, well, you know load it up on the cloud and try it out and we'll see what happens from there. And there's no waiting time or anything. And it's not, the streaming's not bad. I mean, it's not bad at all. I played, I played it on the cloud. I did so on my Xbox because I was sitting on my couch and, and didn't feel like, you know, coming to play on the computer. It was a couch lazy day for me on Sunday morning. And it was real easy. Just load it up and, and, and start it, try a mission and then move on. And what I, I will say that if you enjoyed Left 4 Dead, did you play other Left 4 Deads? Yeah, no, I played both of them. Okay. So if you enjoyed Left 4 Dead, you'll like Back 4 Blood. It's it's that game. That I mean there's I mean, don't get me wrong, it's got some different mechanics to it. Like there's this card based system for perks that you, you know, you earn cards and you buy cards and they're called supply points and stuff like that, you know, to do some more customization of your character which i think is pretty cool but at its at its core it's it's a left for dead title so there you go if you like left for dead try back for blood right you are dave you heard it first here folks but dave i don't think people are here to hear about back for blood maybe they are i mean maybe they are (laughs) and if you are i hate to be the bearer of bad news but that's not what today's episode about is about so dave why don't we uh, get back to the task at hand yes. and talk about Super Mario World. That was good. That that was that reeling me in was real good. I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. So Super Mario World, you know, coming off the success of Super Mario Brothers 3 for the Nintendo NES for the NES. That development studio that we've talked about, Nintendo R&D 4 was given the task of developing the first Mario series game for the upcoming, at that point, which was the upcoming SNES. Now, this team would include uh, a lot of people that we know, like director Takashi Tezuka, uh, famous game producer Shigeru Miyamoto. Uh, coming along would be the creator of, who, who would end up being known uh, as the creator of Yoshi, Shigafumi Hino, and uh, the music di- musical director, uh, Koji Kondo. Uh, we've talked about Kondo recently. He got his start doing the audio design on the arcade version of Punch-Out. So we were introduced to him recently in the Punch-Out episode. 
And Kondo would later go on to score music uh, to the Super Mario Brothers. You know, the, the Mario tune that you know and love is a Kondo. Um, the Legend of Zelda theme is a, a Koji Kondo. Chances are that even if you're not a gamer per se, you know some of Koji Kondo's music because at least, let's be honest, the music from those two series kind of transcends gaming. People know Mario even if they're not a gamer, you know? Absolutely. So altogether, aside from all these famous people, including them, there was a small development team of about 16 people, 16 people. So now Super Mario World was likely one of the first games developed for the SNES. And because of this, there really weren't any built development tools for the SNES. Um, And so as the team worked on this game, so too did they have to kind of make up the tools that other teams would benefit from as they went along. And so kind of the first step was that they needed to figure out what to do with this brand new system. You know, they knew going in based on the hardware specifications that they didn't have many of the same limitations as before. You know, scrolling limitations were gone. The color limitations were gone kind of to put that into perspective. So the color palette on the NES was 48 colors and six grays. And you could lay, you could have 25 colors on screen at one time without there needing to be any color palette swapping or any complication. In contrast, the color palette on the SNES was 32,768 colors that could be pretty much distributed how you wanted between 256 color layers. So just from the artistic standpoint, you know, they knew that there was a whole lot more that they could do with the Super Nintendo. So to begin with, as an experiment, this team ported Super Mario Brothers 3 over to the Super Nintendo. As they played it, though, you know, they they felt that it was pretty much exactly the same game. You know, it had improved colors. It had, you know, sprites that definitely looked better, but it was Super Mario Brothers 3, which is actually pretty cool. I, I think, I think personally that when games are brought over to new systems and they still feel like the same game, I think that that's a really strong testament to how well designed of a game it is in itself. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, no, it definitely for that. If you're porting it to a newer system, it does make sense because it means it was good enough that it could have been created on a new system as an early game and been just as good as it was as the highlight of that current system's career or well lifespan. Um, But I mean, at the same time, it could be that just because the game is okay on one and it's okay on another doesn't mean that it's it's great it could just mean that you made a mediocre game that can play well on multiple systems yeah but occasionally you get those games that are you know remastered remade ported over and they still i guess graphics can play you know let's let's talk for a brief moment right now we got that debacle going on with the grand theft auto trilogy remaster right i mean i haven't seen a whole lot of it but i know what you're talking about right so you know, they remastered Grand Theft Auto, the original trilogy, and um, it's not the original trilogy. Well, it kind of is. Anyway, point is, it's it it doesn't 
really look better. Like there are some character designs that are, you know, a step back that look worse and there's some glitches in the game. There's this hilarious one. If you, if you swerve cars back and forth, like you're swerving in, in your lane, it actually, for whatever reason, causes the cars to get wider and they just keep growing until they can be the entire size of the road. Oh yeah. It's kind of funny, but you know, I, I, I say that, you know, they remastered the game. They, they upgraded the graphics, did their character remasters, but it's still grand theft auto. I, I mean, they're still good games. I guess the point people, people aren't complaining about the story or the gameplay. They're complaining that they expect better graphics out of a, a 2021 remaster, you know? Yeah, no, it seems more like based on the graphics I saw that it was not even a port. It was more like a knockoff port because <laughs> yeah. it was actually worse than the original design. And, and which... then the crappy part about games like this with today's gaming community is that the the modding community is so robust that there were already mods out there of the original trilogy that made it look leaps and bounds better than the remaster that the actual company put out, which uh, it's just kind of sad. It kind of makes you wonder what their plan is when they're doing a remaster. Um, just make it work and get it out there, I guess, you know? I mean, it could also depend entirely on the timeline. It could have been that they weren't ready to push it and some higher up said, hey, we need the money now, do it. And they pushed it early and this is what we get. Or it could be that they just said, miss, screw it, we're done. Yep. Never know. Yeah, for sure. You just never know. So back to Super Mario World, you know, after porting Super Mario Brothers 3 over and, and finding out that they pretty much had the same game with prettier graphics, they made the decision that they wanted to create something completely new with all the extra power and hardware, you know, from the hardware that they had, which is really a different goal than before for this team. Because if you look at Super Mario Brothers 1 through 3, there are a lot of similarities you know, the, the, the core 2D gameplay from 1 to 3 stays the same. You get added power-ups, you get the overworld map in 3, but realistically, they're, they're, realistically they're very similar games, I guess, is, is the point. Do you, do you think I'm wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. There, There's only so much you could do, I feel, and they made a very similar game, although they did add some new color. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, I think I, I mean, a... figuratively and literally color. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> yeah, very true. So um, and yeah, so with all this new hardware, they knew that there was a lot more that they could do than just swap out a color palette and make Mario look prettier. And so they began to look at different mechanics to bring in. You know, one mechanic was the cape. You know, in Super Mario Bros. 3, they had the raccoon cap. Um, but they didn't want to just copy what they did before. And so they worked on the cape, you know, the, the, the cape allows you to fly. And that team worked on that mechanic. You know, they got this, th this flying mechanic just right. And then they put it in front of play testers as you do. And the first iteration of flying people hated, they just hated it. And so, you know, like any good development team, they had to go back to the drawing board with all their feedback and came up with the flying system that we have today. But it's really funny. I wish I, I would have known what's different um, because I really kind of looked to see if there was any explanation anywhere, but I couldn't find any. 
but what I did find was an interview in which one member of the development team called the flying system that we have now quite clumsy compared to what was originally conceived. Interesting. I would love to have seen what it was if they considered the way that it is clunky. Yep. Um, also, I would just like to point out, Dave, that it is not a raccoon cap. It is a tanuki. Uh, well, it is the tanuki, so, yes. That's it's very specific. Um, okay, it is a tanuki, yeah. It, it is different. So just for all the people who want to correct Dave, I beat you to it. Because <laughs> David is wrong. I am wrong. Well, and then we get to Yoshi. That silly green dinosaur that everybody loves to hop on and go for a ride. Yoshi actually goes way back. You know, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto had wanted a dinosaur companion for Mario um, as far back as the first Super Mario Brothers game. But they just couldn't find a way to make it work with the technology on the NES. And, you know, he actually had a drawing of Mario riding a horse pinned up on his desk that they sketched back during super Mario brothers. And it stayed pinned up on his desk. Uh, it stayed pinned up on his desk through, through the NES era. So as they got further into the development of super Mario world, they kind of decided that they were going to set this game in a dinosaur land. And so Miyamoto went to the artist, uh, Shigafumi Hino and asked him to draw a reptile-like creature based on these sketches. So the first first iteration, um, the first iteration was of Yoshi was a very reptilian design that they felt really didn't fit in the Mario world. And so both uh, Tezuka, your boy, and Hino, they worked together to create a cuter character, which became Yoshi. Um... And one little funny anecdote that I found while I was researching this, uh, there's an interview with uh, with Hino in which he talks about one of the Yoshi animations. And he says that lots of people think that while Mario is pointing his finger forward, he's saying go and Yoshi's tongue comes out. I believe that's when they first start going. Um, however, the way Hino originally designed it is he drew it so that when the character goes, Mario punches Yoshi in the head and the character's tongue shoots out in surprise. Yeah, that's what I always thought. I mean, I remember someone saying that, like, yeah, Mario literally beats the crap out of Yoshi and makes him run. So one really fascinating thing that we have of, well, kind of looking at Super Mario World is we have some stills of the game from a 1990 Japanese video game magazine that basically has a bunch of screenshots from an early 1989 build of the game. And if you look at it, that build is, you know, and I'll post a link on our website, www.memorycardlane.com. But one of the most fascinating things is when you go back and you look at this build, it's really easy to see where they got it, got their early influence from Super Mario Brothers 3 and you can really tell where they were, I guess, struggling to shake it off. Um, there's also a really fantastic uh, YouTube video uh, by Beta64. I'll post a link to that, too. And uh, he kind of goes over the differences. But for, for sake of our conversation, I'm going to summarize some of the changes. So, for instance, the title screen was definitely not the colorful image uh, that we know and love today with the colorful Super Mario World logo and Yoshi and Mario in motion. 
Instead, you were greeted with Super Mario World in blue, which is exactly the same font and color as Super Mario Brothers 3, the Super Mario Brothers and Super Brothers 3. And behind it is a sketch of what looks like an island, but it's very monochrome, like it could come right out of a, a Game Boy game. So it's really muted and um, really muted. It, it, Rob, you have it in front of you. Yeah, no, it, it honestly, in my opinion, it looks like someone took like basically a black and white photo and put blue text over it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely doesn't looking doesn't look like it's going to it's taking advantage of a 16 bit system at all. So but, you know, I think it's important to remember that this is still really early on and their first attempt at this game was porting Super Mario Brothers 3 over to that point. You know, this is the same blue color. It's the same font as Super Mario Brothers 3. Uh, so this is, I mean, they were they were still holding on to it at this point. Um, now, if you go and you look through screenshots of the overworld map, it's going to show some other changes that came out during development. So, for instance, the stage naming changed. Uh, if you recall in the earlier Super Mario Brothers, the original, let's say original trilogy, they were stage one, 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 two, one, three, you know, world four, level one, things like that. But when they finalized the Super Mario World version, we got the names of the levels and the number. So like Forest of Illusion one, Forest of Illusion two, you know what I mean? Right. And then the map itself is completely different. You know, the, the the map that it shows, these screenshots show whether or not you're looking at that overworld map on the main title screen or some screenshots, it doesn't look at all like the overworld map that we're used to, does it? No, it's definitely a completely different thing. Which is really fascinating. It's always fun to see like the iterations of games and this is very clearly like it you wouldn't know by looking at this that this was super mario world would you yeah it no it honestly looks like another mario game in development that just got dropped i would imagine it, it looks like something between th um brothers three and world the yep. way that it's designed it's just kind of that mid like obviously it's in the middle of design and everything and that's why it's rough but it just it does look like a rougher version of world but kind of a better version of brothers three i guess is a way to put it yeah no it's definitely in between you can definitely tell that they started to take advantage of the 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 added colors now it's possible that they were closer than we can tell here because back when the only way they could take screenshots was someone literally probably took a photograph of a tv screen and so we probably lose a little bit in the definition there. Um, but point. yeah, but you can definitely tell that it's not it's neither. You know, it's more than you're right. It's in between. It's more than before, but it's not quite where we are now. There's some other things that these screenshots, if you dig into them closely, uh, kind of reveal. You can see other places where they borrowed sprites from the Super Mario Brothers series, like uh, one of the a couple of the screenshots show a flower in the box on the top. And that flower sprite is in there. One of the screenshots has your Tanuki leaf and your and Mario's wearing the Tanuki suit, right? Mm -hmm. Also, if you look at that, any of the gameplay screens, the three Yoshi coins that you collect each level, that doesn't exist in these screenshots. So that was likely a game mechanic that was added on later. Yeah, it does. Uh -uh. It shows is a that not it, the three coins in the bottom right in the 
bottom right. Oh, those are just coins in the screen. Never mind. Those yeah. are coin like the coins you would collect normally. I just, yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I see what you're seeing. They might be, they may be a placeholder, but if you look at the 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 HUD on the top of the screen, there's nowhere to indicate those big coins because where the, it normally is in Super Mario World has a plain coin counter in this one. Um, and this has a score. There is no score in the final version of Super Mario World, but you'll see there's a score counter here. So that's, again, another holdout from the Super Mario Brothers that eventually just it didn't stick around. They got rid of it. So, hmm. um, but yeah, a lot of stuff. There's some other little details, but, you know, a seeing is kind of believing with this. So, again, if you want to check them out, visit our website, you know, memorycardlane.com. I'll, I'll post the link to the video and um, a bunch of screenshots to it. It's really fascinating. You can tell that the art team, there's a lot of detail missing from these. So you can kind of tell that the art team was really working on making it look better and refining things probably up to the ver the launch. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you'd, I would not be surprised to find out how many games are still being worked on at launch. I mean, obviously we know nowadays that games are being patched daily it seems yeah so i mean even back then it's no surprise that they're working up till the last day but i mean in those days you couldn't push a patch through and you had a mess up you just dealt with it uh <laughs> when this was released in japan uh the title screen and the box actually has it labeled as super mario brothers 4 super mario <laughs> world so wow um and that's in the that. that's in the video too because they they didn't they didn't get rid of the super mario brothers 4 so um Yep, a lot of stuff. So yeah, so the art team was working on it to the very end. And then, of course, there was the music. So back to Koji Kondo. And for the NES, you know, when he made that music, he was really, you were limited to the sounds that were built into the system. You know, all, all the NES really had were square waves and triangle waves is what he calls the beep beep sounds. Um, but the SNES, you didn't have that limitation. You know, the SNES could make eight sounds at once. It wasn't limited to the beep beep sounds and so Kondo I saw an interview with Kondo where he basically said that he just wanted to use as many instruments as he could at once and so in the title song he used them one after another and it was really cool but as he listened to it he was really worried about how people would react to just a, a whole slew of new and unusual instruments and so he pulled it back and he made this kind of combination of new instruments and uh the traditional sounds that that everybody knows knows and loves so pretty interesting all right so let's talk about um the game because there really isn't any other thing to development there's no drama they worked on this game it's really cool like i said to see it's it's transition from old to new i would really encourage anybody to do that um, but they released the game, you know, so the game comes out and here we are, uh, comes out with the Super Nintendo and it comes to the world. Um, I'm not even going to lie. This was the Super Nintendo era is like my formative childhood years. You know, I would have been 10, 11. I would have been 11 when the SNES came out. So, you know, that's in my t early teenage years getting into there. And I played the heck out of the Super Nintendo. And this happens to be one of my fondest you know fondest map some of my fondest memories are playing super mario world way back when um i remember 
I remember every everywhere like the Super Nintendo demos would be set up at the gaming in the gaming aisle of you know every store, Kmart and Target and Best Buy, and I would just run over to them to be able to play this. And I remember it was that first level with the bullet bill um, and the three dinosaurs like right off the bat, and I would just go and play that over and over and over um, until. I don't even remember when we got a Super Nintendo, to be honest with you. It wasn't at first. We never got things at first, but we got them eventually. So um, I was a big fan. This came out the year. You... No, it came out before you you were born because this was 1990. I said 95. I wouldn't have been 11. 1990, I would have only been six. It would yep. come out in 91 yeah. when I was seven. Why was I thinking 95? Uh, 95, I, I 95 was the PlayStation. Still, it stands true that these were my childhood years. So, you you played the SNES too, though, didn't you? I played a ton of it, especially with you. I love the SNES. I love this. So, I had a chance to play this recently when we spent that uh, couple of weeks uh, out. Namely, when I was without power for a week due to Hurricane Ida. I primarily played my switch, you know, charging it up on the, the generator when I was running the generator and playing it when I wasn't, you know, charging it. And my game of choice was Super Mario World. So I played this a few months ago and got to play through it and I still like it. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. It It's just so much fun. It it. Do you think any of the Mario games have aged? Like, do you still enjoy, and even it was before your time, but do you still think the first Mario holds up? I definitely think that they can still be just as difficult now as they were then. I mean, I still struggle to beat Mario games in the older days. Like, I definitely have a lot better time beating uh, Sunshine or any of the 3D-based ones. I struggle with these scrollers, I won't lie. Um shell tricking does not make sense to me uh there's just a lot of little things like that that i can't i I just haven't figured it out and i mean i definitely think that they're still fun to play if you're into the challenge of them if you're like me and not good i mean if you're good at them it probably would be a little boring uh yeah but shell tricking is a speed running thing and we didn't do that stuff when we played it initially like that those are traits and tricks that were found when people got to the point where they were analyzing video games to learn about every little, I mean, they literally learn about every stupid Sprite when they do speed running, you know? Yeah, no, I, that's fair. I also take into consideration like Mario maker, even based on the older stylistic using the same like graphics in a sense. Um, when I was playing Mario maker, a lot of levels had that trick in there too. So it was like, it's kind of weird for me to meant like seeing those in that style and then the tricks. It's just, yeah so i don't know but i enjoy them still i guess it really depends on who you are as a person if you were into them when you were younger or i i guess for new younger children that have never played this uh i i wouldn't know you really just have to give it a try and see if it's something you can get into well what are your thoughts on this one i enjoyed it i pretty sure this was the first one that i had ever played and I honestly had not realized prior to this that there was Mario without Yoshi. Uh, I did not know that this was where Yoshi came from, uh, but I 
definitely enjoy the uh, coin system. The more collectibles, it makes it a little more that you have to do or could do in the game. A lot more options, I feel, as far as where you can go. I mean, you have left and right turns. It's not very linear. You go forward, up, or down. The swimming levels uh, with the fishing and everything or just being in the caves. The music, honestly, the music is just incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really enjoy the game. I mean, I, it's very nostalgic for me and obviously I hold it dear because of that and playing with you when I was young is the cool thing to do. Hey, I get to hang out with my older brother. Awesome. I'm going to play this awesome game. Um, but even still, it's just, it's so much fun. I mean, I've had enjoyed the Mario series as long as I can remember. And this was the start of my enjoyment of Mario. Yeah. To be fair, you do know that there's Mario's without Yoshi. You just never really think about it. So, well, I just hadn't realized that Yoshi hadn't been a character in the original Mario. Like he was not from the star, a Mario character. Nope. No, uh, a Yoshi like character makes an appearance in like an earlier Nintendo game. I can't remember what it's called as dragons. I'm I'm not even going to say dragon something. I have no clue. And, um, but yeah, he, he, I think he's in uh, one NES title that came out when they were still making games for both. But he didn't end up in a Mario game. This was it. And I remember like that blew my mind. Like the first time I opened the block and Yoshi comes out and you can jump on Yoshi and he does that, that, that sound. And I was like, like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like I can do Yoshi and I can eat things. And um, I remember being amazed for that in stores. And then the first time I ever realized that there were multiple exits to some of the levels like that. That was new. Like there wasn't anything like that at the time. And then when you found the alternate exit, like it would open an alternate path on the overworld map. And like, holy crap, was that mind blowing when it came out? I mean, would you not consider that to be the same as the warp zones in in Super Mario Brothers, though? Not the alternate exits. Because the alternate exits. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it was a different way out of the level that could get, progress you further in than normal progression would take you. And you had to do something beyond just playing the level to get to them. See, I would think kind of. So the first one had the warp zones. Yes. And then the third one had the flute, which doesn't have anything to do with that. So I I, I never really considered. OK, the warp zones. Yes, but they were secrets in the first one. And this game makes alternate exits part of its core gameplay. Does that make more sense? Okay, yeah. So you have more choices you can make and not you just find it and skip stuff. Well, and it wasn't so straightforward either. You know, like you had to find this key that was hidden in this pipe type deal. Or, you know, this exits only if you can get the cape and fly in the air. And if you never thought to fly in the air, you'd never see that exit, you know? I mean, this one had hidden alternates everywhere. And then, and then you had the freaking, the blocks, the colored blocks. Do you remember the colored blocks with the switches? You could, well, I know you'd colored blocks you would throw at, like, you fighting Boo, for example. You'd use that to damage them with the flashing colored blocks. Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm talking about the red blocks and the blue box where you had to find the switch. Oh, actual switching. Yeah, yeah. So it's really funny how that came about when they were first designing the game. 
They knew that they wanted to create a different block type, but they didn't know how to do it. And so they basically made these like blank outline blocks and, and, and learn how to fill them in as they went along. And I, I guess the anecdote is the switch blocks really like they couldn't technically figure out how to how to make these block types they wanted. And so the, the they stumbled across the switch palace is the point. It was just a happy accident where they were trying to do one thing, but they ended up with those and and it just became a core game mechanic but it definitely isn't what they were trying to try to do they were trying to find i mean i don't really know at this point but they were trying to come up with a completely different uh switch type and it became a core game mechanic because it's a way of altering the difficulty as as how they designed it as a game mechanic there are levels that are much easier if you take the time to find the switch palaces as you go along but impossibly hard if you don't. And and like I said, so it's a way of people to kind of modify the difficulty of the game in themselves as a core game mechanic as you go along, which is really cool, actually. Um, yeah, I would yeah. say so. Yeah, very cool. Very, very cool. You know, and I, I remember playing this. I, for whatever reason, what sticks out in my head is the Forest of Illusion, because some of the levels in the Forest of Illusion have more than two exits actually and i just remember i just remember it was so cool every time you found a new exit and you got a new path and then you know you had star road so you got to find all the paths for that and um yeah this game just i don't know it held up so well for me it still is so much fun to play so much fun to find everything in it so much joy like it's game mechanics are tight i don't Sometimes when I play the original Mario, like it feels a little not quite so snip snappy as modern ones, but I think this game feels right to me. And it's probably just nostalgia, but I, I just this one hits a sweet spot. I, I still very much enjoy Super Mario World. And it probably still takes you a while to beat it. Unlike the guy who can beat this in under ten minutes. Nah, I honestly I I, I don't even know a couple hours. It was quick. I mean, at first I played straight through. And then and then I went back and started to unlock things because um, straight through is real easy. You have an access to Star Road like right in the beginning and you can just ride Star Road to the to the end and just go from there, you know, to the back door to Bowser's Palace. Yeah, it, it didn't it didn't take that much time to beat it. That's the one thing. It's a lot shorter than I remember. Do you did you look up? I know you said that someone can beat it in 10 minutes, but did you actually look up and see how long of a game it is? Oh, like the actual gameplay? Yeah, hold on. I'm going to look it no. up real quick. Um, I just know that there was a world record set, I think, a year or two ago at 9.45. Wow, that blows my mind. Uh, the main story is, on average, five hours for people. Okay. So five hours is the main story. They've got completionist. Uh, the average time for getting everything is 10 hours. And I guess in today's day and age, that's really not that. That's not anything, you know what I mean? So. Right. Yeah, no, not <laughs> that's a session of multiplayer yeah. online gaming for most. Yeah. So it's an easy it's an easy sell, an easy investment, something to sit down for a couple days and play um, pretty easy to find. You know, if you bought the classic SNES system, it's part of it. If you have a switch and you're a Nintendo online member, it's one of the games on Um. It's one of the games that you can get on 
switch online. Sorry, brain fart for a second. So it's a really easy ask. Really, really, really great game. Um, Yeah. Well, Rob, I've been ranting and raving, told you all about it. So this is about the time where I pass it on to you and we find out what other people thought about it. I didn't really pull critic reviews for today because honestly, this game is this game is revered everywhere. I mean, it blew everyone away when it came out. So all the critic reviews are fairly positive and they're all just going to glow about it the same way I did. Um, But I always do like to hear from our fellow gamers So this week I pulled you a few user reviews that I thought we could go through and talk about and see what other people thought. Um, Yeah, and see what other people thought. So what do you say? Well, sorry, Dave. There's nothing here. No one to talk about. No one talks about this game. Yeah, no one talks about this game at all. You're right. Nope. Well, I guess there are quite a few. So first up, we have Zampa from Moby Games, who thinks Super Mario World is one of the best platform games ever. He goes on to say that Nintendo has always had the skill to produce games that are just so good that you have to keep playing. And after playing through Super Mario World five times in the last five years, it never lets them down. Like most Super Mario games, Super Mario World includes cute graphics and sound effects, a soundtrack that you could listen all the time, and a playability that is as close to perfect as it can get. You can control Mario completely with the controller. As opposed to what? Um, Maybe... Uh, you had something he did that you didn't control. You pressed a button. He did like three things. I don't know. I, maybe maybe you control him with your mind. Maybe the power glove or the the gun or uh, a joystick. Oh, there you go. Like a joystick. Duh. Uh, okay. Cool. He, he 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 used to jump barrels, and you didn't have a controller. Then you had a joystick and a button. All right. I'll take it. All right. So with all that good, you could at least have bad level design in the game. But no. Super Mario World has over 90 different levels to play, and that's a lot. It takes close to a week to play the game through for the first time. Does it, though? Uh, I mean, depends on how good you are, how much time you put into it. I mean, if you're only playing like a like one level at a time, I mean, yeah, it could take a week. Yeah. The skill levels are brilliant. It's always challenging enough to keep you from playing the game straight through, but still easy enough so that you won't get frustrated. See, there you go. They're not playing it straight through. That's why, Dave. Come on. That's it. Yep. Another another revolutionary thing is that you can keep playing the game after you've played it through. There might even be new secret levels you haven't found yet. I happened to find a new route on my last time. I was amazed. And then there's also the fact that you can play this game no matter how old you are. I've seen a four-year-old playing this game from start to finish, and I've also seen an 80-year-old granny playing this game. It doesn't matter. The game doesn't have any violence in it, which is... A very nice exception in today's world with GTAs and Carmageddon's. <laughs> Carmageddon. Carmageddon. I, yeah. I, I loved Carmageddon when it first came out. I have not heard that in a long time. They made a remake of it, and I, I played Carmageddon. That's Carmageddon's hilarious. I'm not so sure if I agree with the fact that there's no violence in it. I mean, you do bonk everyone on the head as you run through, so. Yeah, no, I mean, but that's not violent. Uh, okay well you 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 curb stop a mushroom guy and see how he feels about it Eh, that's that's just for fun though yeah i guess but um i understand it's not the same type of violence as gta or carmageddon no absolutely not it's completely different funny 
Oh my goodness, Carmageddon. That's a blast from the past. Yeah, I did not expect to hear that name. But uh, hey, there we go. Cool. All right, what else we got? All right, next up we have James Bright on Moby Game, who feels that Super Mario World is a nice game, but, yes, there's a but, it's overrated. What? What? How dare you? Well, let's find out why. So James says that Super Mario World for the SNES is a good game, It's fun to play, has lots of power-ups, lots of levels, but it's overrated. There are some who say it's the best game ever made and the best platformer ever. But trust me, it's not that good. It's nowhere near as good as people say it is, but it's still fun. Just believe me, this is the honest truth. Anyway, here is what is good about the game. Just trust him. Yeah, just trust him. Just trust him. Loads of levels and secrets to find. This gives the game lots of replay value. It's also quite well presented, with nice music and nice sprites. There are loads of enemies to fight, some of which are actually quite funny, and the bosses are wonderfully inventive. This is Yoshi's first game, and while his presence does little to enhance the gameplay, it's good to have a new form of power-up. The game also invents various new things for the Mario series, like spin jumps, Yoshi, reserve items, and secret worlds, which really help to make the games after this good. You know, I didn't think about spin jumps. That's a good point. This is the first uh, spin jump out of all of them, too. That's a cool. that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't think of that either. That's, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, and the gameplay is rather good if you compare it to the previous titles, which were occasionally rather unbalanced. All these things mixed in with great level design, clever puzzles, and fun mini games make for a good, not great, platformer. It's better than Cheetah Men 2, the worst platformer ever devised. Cheetah Men 2. Okay, I'm not familiar with that term, that title, but uh, all right. But most of the reviews of this game say that it's utterly perfect, but that isn't true at all. Yeah, it is good and all that, but it's far from perfect. Super Mario World is probably the most overrated game of all time, to be honest. The most underrated game ever is Cheetah Man 2, which got horrible reviews that weren't bad enough for it. Man, this guy really wants some Cheetah Man 2 coverage here, huh? I don't even know what that is, but you you keep talking about it, guy. Maybe you'll bring it back. Go for it. So, for starters, the controls on the SNES joypad are terrible. They are so bad they lead to various frustrating deaths and power-up losses. And while the idea of having roughly 100 levels is nice, a little bit more time could have been put into the secret levels. Some, but not all, are rather badly designed, which shows that the design team were running out of ideas. One level has you just smashing an endless array of bricks to reach a lowdown exit. One is just a single screen with a floor made of grab blocks and a Lakitu in the sky. The exit is actually on screen as soon as you begin the stage. There are also lots of pointless blocks, like jumping blocks, which are pointless because jumping boards do exactly the same, and bonus blocks, which are just plain useless. There are also message blocks that give you tips, which are a real waste of time because it tells you all that you need to know in the instruction booklet. Oh, um... Does it? I, I mean, maybe it does, but considering I've never once read the instruction booklet in a game, uh, yes, those in-game tips are phenomenal. Uh, anywho, 
The ending is also annoying because you've just battled your way through a huge game and all you get is a boring credit screen and screens that tell what the enemies are called. But it's still fun to play. Is it, though? (laughs) Um, It is. I was going to say, I hope you think so. Well, and you know, it's funny because he criticized a lot of those uh, secret levels with the weird level design. But I think those were great because they were so different from a traditional like Mario level, you, you know, they weren't just a side scrolling left to right Mario level. And, and I, I, like I said, I think that was the best thing was that they were, they were so different and, and interesting. So. Yeah. 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 Well, is uh that, that dude, the only guy who doesn't like super Mario world. Well, there's also this guy B bog from Metacritic who says that, they don't think this is a good game by today's standards. So let's find out why, Dave. Yes, let's find out why, Rob. So there's so much dumb and frustrating trial and error going on, with so many unforeseeable deaths that have nothing to do with your overall skill concerning the core mechanics, but that are just pure BS because an enemy spawns right where you are or where you're headed, and you can't cancel your movement in time. Or two enemies put you in a headlock between them, and you have no place to go etc etc this game is full of situations like that and yeah you can fly over large sections of the levels with a cape and use star road to go straight to bowser but what fun is that why then play the game at all if you're just going to skip over everything yeah speedrunners why why cue the hate from speedrunners speedrunning is awesome to watch it is actually huh Then you're only allowed to save every few levels. Why? Which leads you to replaying large sections over and over and over and over again. Luckily, this can be bypassed nowadays with the VC save point feature, though it does kind of feel like cheating. My biggest problem with Super Mario World and the 2D Mario games in general are the controls. It always feels like all of Dinosaur Island is covered by a very thin sheet of ice. Everything's so goddamn slippery, especially when you're running, which is completely necessary to make especially high and or long jumps. I never feel like I'm in control of Mario, which for me is the death sentence of any platforming game. If I die, I want it to be my fault, not because of slippery controls or a comic spawning right where I am or crap like that and i want to try to and i get to the point to try again where i uh, okay and i want to get to try again at the point where i failed not play 20 other sections over again leading up to that point i guess modern 2d platformers like raymond legends have kind of spoiled me in that regard which is really just another way of saying super mario world's way of doing things is outdated the music is very good for SNES standards, but really repetitive and gets old really quickly. How dare you? Oh, I know. What the how, hell? How That's... dare you? Talking about an ice rink, and that was fine. I could I could handle the ice rink, spoiled brat, but then you had to go for my music. How dare you? Uh, yeah, that, that hurts. Well, they continue on saying the graphics were probably state-of-the-art back in the day, but now they just look pixelated. Well, duh! Yeah, I mean, literally. They do say that pixelated graphics seem to be somewhat in again with all the indie games. So, I mean, hey, there you go. Yeah. Overall, 
the think the high regard in which the game is still held to this day is mostly due to nostalgia. If it were to be released today, even as an indie game, I don't think anyone would bat an eye. I mean, we're all entitled to our opinion. I I beg to differ on that. I think that this would do very well as an indie game. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, hell, there's a lot. Even though it's a combat platformer, look at Cuphead was released. I mean, just pixelate it and basically the same. No, it's not even considerably the same, but you know. <laughs> I was going to say pick some cup cuphead's awesome, but it's all just boss battles. Um, no, I still think I think this would do fine today. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do, too. I do, too. Well, and with that, I think we did it. all of our listeners out there who haven't played this. You got to give it a try. And then when you do that, go ahead, hop on over to our website and let us know. That's right. And Dave, how can they do that? What's that website that you've only mentioned several times throughout today's episode? <laughs> That's www.memorycardlane.com. Among the things I'm going to post are my show notes. On my show notes, you'll find links to my research that will include the interviews, uh, Wikipedia, the wikis of the games themselves, um, articles on the, that include the green screenshots from that Japanese game magazine with the 1989 build. And I'll post the beta 64 video of um, where he analyzes in detail, the differences between the builds too. It gets into a lot more detail than I provided here. So if you want to see the progression of super Mario world, definitely go check that out. Also on our website, I have a calendar of upcoming events, a little spot where you could submit your own stories or memories uh you know if you'd like for us to share them with everyone i also have our biographies a link to our patreon where you can support this fledgling pay pain cast yes that's what it feels like many times a pain cast um and a link to our discord where you can join our community to come talk to us or play video games with us uh we're always there so yeah uh lastly there is a link to our social media as rob so aptly pointed out i'm wrong my twitter and twitch handles are david is wrong rob you still gearing up to do twitch yes sir and once i am hitting the streaming i will be found at twitch.tv forward slash f-a-t-b-o-i-r-i-p-z awesome well this is about the point in the episode where we kind of go back to review uh each week we try to teach you something new about the game what it took from the world as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world as its legacy and as part of that we like to reflect back on what we learned and so let's do that rob Biggest takeaway from today's episode. I mean, honestly, having seen the uh, Japanese magazine and the difference between the unpolished and the final product, just it's actually kind of crazy. I know we've talked about in the past with the concepts of how games change in design, but actually getting to see it in that regard um it's it's definitely crazy and you know also with that the fact that they took and ported super mario 3 that i i don't know why i it's just kind of weird to think that at that time they were already porting games to newer consoles like that i just hadn't really thought about it in those days as being a thing being done i don't know why it does it makes sense you obviously want to try something on a new console and see how it's different but i just 
it didn't really seem like a thing until they started with backwards compatibility in the playstations that i could ever see that being done so yeah those are mine how about you i also enjoyed the 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 separation between the builds i thought it was really fascinating to learn about some of the design choices that they made along the way like the addition of the yoshi coins and learning about the colored blocks um you know the addition of the cape and 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 the creation of yoshi so that was all all i mean a lot of that was new to me it was a lot of fun i I never really put much thought into where yoshi came from i also did know that they designed him as early as super mario brothers and so to kind of learn that that was something that Miyamoto willed into existence by leaving a picture of mario riding a horse like you can find the sketch online. I, I, I'm pretty sure it'll be in like the wiki notes. Um, it's like a horse thing that he's riding, and he pretty much left that pin on his desk and willed that into existence. You know, and, and once the technology was there, I think that's pretty cool. So, but yeah, yeah, and of course, uh, you know, from the legacy standpoint, really quickly to touch on that. Let's be honest, Super Mario World came out with the Super Nintendo. The Super Nintendo package with Super Mario World was an absolute hit. Uh, if this game sucked, it wouldn't have been. Let's just put it that way, right? Right. I mean, this was a launch title. It was a launch title that really delivered. And I, I believe that we have a lot of the lasting legacy and nostalgia of the Super Nintendo to thank this game for. So Super Mario World has a legacy that goes, you know, allowed us to allowed us to enjoy the Super Nintendo allowed us to continue to enjoy the Mario series. And it was the basis, you know, starting point for a lot of really great, a lot of really great Mario stuff, spin moves and Yoshi and, and multiple levels. And those are still gaming mechanics that are found in Mario to this day. So, yeah. Right. Right, right, right. All right. What do you want to add before I take it out of here? Well, Dave, I think we're good. Let's yeah. just, let's just, just move on. We're just going to move but on. No. No, 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 I can't do that. As always, I do have to take a moment to say thank you to everyone for listening. It does mean the world to us. I know I don't tell you that every episode. So I just want to make sure you know you are appreciated. And we appreciate hearing from you, too. So make sure you let us know what you think. Back to you, Dave. Right on. Well, Rob, I think that'll about do it for Super Mario World. So let's look briefly ahead at next week. Um, Our game for next week is designed to teach students about the realities of 19th century pioneer life. The Oregon Trail is perhaps one of the earliest examples of edutainment software out there. It's certainly probably the most recognizable piece of edutainment software. It's hard to argue that. Uh, In fact, it's one of the best-selling video game franchises uh, of all time. Uh, Yeah, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, by the numbers, it's one of the best. I'll put it. I'll put the example. It has sold as many titles as Animal Crossing across its entirety. Hmm. Now I know it has a lot more time, but that's still impressive. That it literally sits about the same amount of games sold as Donkey Kong and Animal Crossing. Um, yeah, it, it sits there having sold about the same amount of titles. It's definitely one of one of the best selling franchises. So, um, anyway. Oregon Trail, it's pretty much been a hallmark of uh, American elementary schools. I'd venture more than American, but definitely American elementary schools, you know, from as early on as the 1980s. And we're going to kind of look at it in depth. 
We're going to look at the different versions of the game because the first version was a text-based version in 1971. The version that most everyone knows is not the same version. So we're going to look at how the original came to be. We're going to look at how it changed over time. We're going to talk about uh, its legacy, just a whole bunch of stuff as we look at Oregon Trail. So, uh, yeah, join us again next week as we travel on westward and Florida River on our hopefully dysentery-free trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. That's a good one.